0: Hey y'all, so when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Media. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide.
1: Welcome to Infamous, a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm Vanessa Grigoriadis, and you are listening to a special episode of our show. In this episode, we're going to talk frankly with India Oxenberg, who you heard from in the second episode of our story on Nexium, The Inner Circle. India is pretty much the only person that Nexium authorized me to speak with who didn't end up getting indicted by the government. I wanted to talk to India before the podcast came out. Actually, I reached out to all the subjects via their lawyers, including Keith, who's now serving 120 years in prison, and Alison Mack, who was sentenced to three years and some say is already in a halfway house. I thought that India deserved to hear the tape recordings I had taken since when she spoke to me, she was clearly in the grip of Nexium. India responded that she was interested in talking, but she also wanted a chance to speak on the mic about what had happened to her since we last spoke. She's so much more than just a brainwashed victim of Keith Raniere. So this is the conversation we had. It's a little rough because she was taking a walk. So the last time I talked to you, India, you were in a very different mind space. Can you tell me what that mind space was? It's crazy to think about myself just four
2: years ago because I was in such a different state of mind. I mean, like my life was complete chaos. Everything was falling apart around me that I had been holding on to for the past seven years. I didn't know if I was going to go to prison or not. I was getting text messages from my mom who was trying to reach me. Just like desperately trying to get a hold of me by saying the FBI are coming and because of how heavily brainwashed and indoctrinated and also just generally in a state of panic and fear and anxiety that I was so used to and really conditioned to become used to as a group. Um, I did not have a good mindset the only thing I knew at that time was that everything that happened to me was for my own benefit it's so fucking weird to even say these words because this is like what I said to you in the interview but everything that happened to me was for my own benefit it was for my own good and that it was my choice and my decision but really it was in my opinion it's all for servitude so it's all for obedience because that's like really the 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 Nugget of brainwashing. It's like, how can I move you in the direction that I want to move you in? Because I have you in a certain fragile state where I'm actually dictating. It's it's hypnosis, but in a very deep way. But because it of all the repetition and all of the, you know, the EMs are not nothing either. I mean, those are emotional manipulations that disconnect you. It's like the process of what a sociopath goes through, but might already have come to, which is, I see something outside of me and I don't have any feeling or reaction to it, but I analyze it logically. It's really weird, but it's like what, it's what we were taught and it was what was done to us. It also shuts down memory
1: recall. You mean in terms of what were your EMs that they were focused?
2: I I couldn't even name to you how many I had. I had hundreds. So like we're talking seven years Most of them had to do with my personal relationships. So like at the moment, I thought I'm here to work on my personal relationships. I'm here to work on my fears around being successful. Like all of the bullshit that they were telling me I was there for. Ultimately, what they were doing was they were disconnecting me emotionally from what they called attachments. And they use like Buddhist terminology to say like, once you're free of these attachments, then you can actually actualize your full potential. All of that sounds awesome and flowery from the outside, but what they were actually doing was making me obedient to their values. So I was basically a shell or a robot of myself in service to them. I didn't even feel fear. That's how, like, I didn't have a reaction. I felt like, well, I'll go to prison. Like it was almost a joke. Like that's how I had been trained. And I was, but you could also say that that's kind of a similar experience for some people when they're being a teenager and they're defying, like, defying society. They're like, well, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to break this window and I'm going to run away. Like, it's a rush. So I think in a lot of ways, I was conditioned to be addicted to the adrenaline of the situation, not necessarily evaluate what was going on.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense because they had to override your guys' conscious minds, right?
2: And, and I mean, just, yes, and what's the best way to do that? Get people really afraid and then conditioned to fear, right? Then you can't think at all. It's literally like it's actually, it feels good to have a memorized script in that state because you feel so anxious and afraid that anytime someone asks you a question it's like a relief to be able to spit out the pre-programmed answer because you don't have to think for yourself one, because you probably don't have access to your own rational thinking. And two, it doesn't feel good to think for yourself anymore because you've been told that thinking for yourself is an area of danger or potential punishment.
1: I mean, what about your relationship with Allison at that time?
2: It was weird. It was kind of, Like, she was still very much heavily in control of me, but I was sensing that she was also coming severely unhinged. She was going down this sort of very paranoid, very anxious, chaotic state. And I kind of, like, stepped up because that's just what I know to do in those circumstances, and it was a good distraction from my own internal chaos to be like, let me you know just fight my way through this (laughs) because I just didn't know what direction to go in I was just kind of like following their leads until I stopped doing that until I was like "Mm, I think I'm gonna choose me a little bit and then it was like little tiny crumbs back to myself like back to the whole loaf of bread of me (laughs) pretty much soon after we spoke like I went back to Albany and I like Got deeper involved until I finally, you know, left uh, the community in Clifton Park and I went to New York City, really just trying to look for a job because I just wanted something that I felt like they couldn't
1: take away from me. How do you feel about Allison being in prison and Lauren Salzman not?
2: Um, it actually is a tricky one for me because I know that Lauren and Allison did a lot of the same things um, when it comes to crimes against other people. But I also know that because I was on the inside, Allison was more involved in the, the creation of docs with the other seven women. Lauren was brought in at a later time. And when she was at a very vulnerable and depressed state, so I have a little bit more of a soft spot for her participation than I do for Allison. And I also have a personal soft spot for her because she was less abusive to me.
1: Do you feel like Allison's sentence was fair in the end? Or do you feel it should have been longer? Or
2: It's not really my place to say they should have had more or less. Like The fact that my abusers were sentenced at all is a fucking miracle because that just does not happen in normal life. The fact that mine's in prison is a hallelujah. And the fact that mine is also in a halfway house with the opportunity to recover and repair her life is also a hallelujah to me because that's what she deserves too. She was also a victim.
1: Right. I mean, that's, I think that that's one of the most disturbing things is that she really was a puppet right? Like yep. she was the actress. She was, I mean, yeah. it's almost like she that- took
2: that role. She even told me, she's like, I like being given a role. Like she was a shell of herself and Keith used her perfectly for that role to, yeah. to her demise. It's, it's really sad because it happens a lot more than people think. And people like to say, oh, this is like, this is so out there. This is so crazy. I'm like, you know what? Before you go judging, <laughs> take a look at your own life. Look at your own dysfunction. Like, like, everybody has their shit. Everybody, like everyone who came to this cult had some scar of vulnerability or personal, you know, issue that they wholeheartedly wanted to resolve. And it happened to be that they put that resolution in the hands of a sociopath who wanted to manipulate and control people that was somebody who I called my good friend who like repeatedly sexually assaulted me that I thought was totally like okay and normal but really the truth was I was dissociating and going to like another world in my mind every time it would happen and then just like like not feeling anything because it was so scary right like it was supposed to be for you know my own benefit and it's just like Like, it's crazy how much we betray our intuition and we betray, like, what our bodies are registering. We override it because some authority has told us otherwise, and then we ignore our own inner authority completely. So, like, that's been my process of recovery, is undoing that pattern.
1: You were just listening to India Oxenberg talk about Alison Mack, and also Keith Raniere, who sexually assaulted her more of our conversation after the
0: break. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over five million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash infamous. That's rocketmoney.com slash infamous. Rocketmoney.com slash infamous. Welcome to True Spies.
2: You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media.
1: So as I said earlier, I reached out to India Oxenberg to give her an idea about what she'd said to me way back when for The Inner Circle, the last few episodes you heard. I wanted her to hear her voice so she could hear herself speaking. So while we were on the phone, I started playing a bunch of the old tape recordings for her. I'm going to play that part of our conversation now. So you'll hear some clips that you heard on the Inner Circle's episodes, and then you'll hear India reacting to those old statements of hers. Here goes. I needed
3: more structure. I needed more discipline because I don't have it on my own. And I, I wasn't raised to have it on my own. It's more uh, like of a male quality or trait that I've always admired, but I just didn't feel strong enough in, in, in my capacity to do it. Wow. It's, it's
2: so... It, like. I'm so trusting like that's really like a lot of the tone that I hear in my voice is like this like blind trust but so much of what I said there was just like straight you know cult talk like basically all of the explanations we were told to give and also like how much I don't believe in my own capacity like that's the part that makes me sad is when I got out and when I first like started to have a relationship with someone who wasn't in the cult, who you know ended up being my now husband. I remember just like repeatedly, I would just break down to him and be like, I can't do anything, like, I don't know how to do anything. And he was like, What are you talking about? Like, you know how to do a lot of things, but I felt so like defeated and broken and like without belief in myself that I've had to spend so much time rebuilding that in myself because it was so broken
3: like I see it as all sort of a tool in order for you to you know learn a lesson or understand something deeper about yourself so I really didn't ask that many questions about the brand the part that
2: I left out was that I wasn't allowed to ask questions about the brand so like every time we even inquired about what that ritual was going to be we were told another version, another story, another lie, like, oh, it's only going to be a tattoo or only it's only going to be the size of a dime or, oh, it's a symbol of the elements, like whatever bullshit that they wanted us to think because we weren't allowed to ask, you know, real questions about the specifics of the brand because they knew that we would probably get really scared. When you break it down and you remove the meaning that they wanted us to believe it was supposed to mean, it's exactly the same thing that a pimp would do to a prostitute. And it's just like, I know it sounds crude for me to even say it that way, but it took me a while to accept that and to realize that that was the level of um, hatred that this man had towards women, that he was enthusiastically willing to inflict pain on them and lie about the fact that it was his initials.
1: All right. So let me play you. This is the, this is me asking you about the um, like extreme dieting.
3: Like actually I learned a lot about um, my body and how different, how I related to different foods, how I related to my emotions and with food and, um, how I use certain things to cover those emotions how I how other things were exposed when I wasn't doing that Mm -hmm. you know how hair falls out
2: like every three that's bullshit Mm -hmm. I always have that yeah that's like that's the stuff that they were also coaching us to respond to when Mm -hmm. when it came to the dieting question like basically they knew all the hot trigger questions that you guys were going to probably ask
1: us when I look at what was happening in DOS I think that the eating disorder part of it is really critical you know
2: it was trauma bonding it was also bonding in that like I could talk to you about this issue forever because I've done a lot of investigating on like the eating disorders stuff and also when it comes to mind control and how food deprivation really does like stunt your cogniz- like your cognition and they had actually told me the opposite which is all of this is helping you be you know better faster quicker stronger you know what I mean like all of the rah-rah-rah shit that they pumped us up with so that we would feel okay with what we were doing but it was really painful like it bonded us in pain because we- there were many times where I was so hungry you know, come 6 p.m. because I had stopped eating at four because of a penance. And I would be texting with my then friend, Michelle Hatchett, like, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain. I'm so hungry. Like, I really want to binge right now. Like, that's all stuff that girls with eating disorders, like, they do that. Like, I I learned when I got out of the group that there were whole groups on Tumblr, like, Anna or... Like there are all these abbreviated versions of clicks around bonding with eating disorders and how basically you all support each other's delusion and distortion of reality because you basically are in a relationship with Ed, the eating disorder, and nobody else. So it's really easy to control somebody who's so single focused.
1: It's just such an ugly, like part of the the whole thing that i think keith really knew that yeah, this worked. he
2: really knew he really knew because he had do- done it with all of his relationships in varying degrees and i had never done calorie counting like i think i said in our interview but i had dieted and had weird diets but i had never done it with the intention to like become anorexic like that was just not my thing if anything I did emotional binge eating as a teenager that i was predisposed to self-hatred which made me vulnerable to a predator
3: right right
2: so like it's all linked it's like once you see one part then another part of it reveals itself and then you're like oh shit, that's amazing like i see how that puzzle piece connects to that and i will never do that part again and like that's how you break patterns like you get to see all of the different aspects of yourself and then you learn to come like kind of have compassion for that bit and then you learn how fucking annoying that part was. and like it's it's like the healing process becomes kind of interesting and fun at a certain point and less like drudgery. <laughs> I love strategic problem solving. like I didn't even realize this about myself until I was out of the call. they had made me numb to the experiences that were traumatic. I couldn't resolve the trauma because I couldn't actually feel it until I felt safe enough in my own current life outside of the cult to confront those memories. And then they all started coming back like nightmares, panic attacks, you know, PTSD. Oh, but God. It took a while. For, it took a while for me to actually relax enough for the memories to come back like a year. No, almost two years.
1: <laughs> right.
2: That's why I think that the, the fact that we have statute of limitations on when, you know, survivors of sexual violence can actually address the perpetrator to me is fucking nonsense because if I hadn't had the mother that I had or the family that I've had I probably would never have been able to confront these things and like there's a lot of people out there who are really suffering in silence unnecessarily
1: yeah more after the break
0: have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: America. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Before the break, you heard India's reactions to the interview tape that we played in the inner circle. Now you're going to hear India talking more about what was happening behind the scenes in Nexium when she and I first spoke. And so did you do you remember being pressured to talk to me? yes. Mm-hmm. heavily and it was because
2: oh, this makes me really sad but it, it was like they had nothing but bad things to say about you internally mm-hmm. and they wanted to basically use you for their benefit to have a curated article that Claire was basically going to pay for and they were really like you know oh, she's a feminist and like all of their rude bullshit and i remember thinking like why like, why are we doing this we've never done any like we've never been allowed to do any press we've never been allowed to talk to the media at all and like you were the first one that they actually allowed to come into the group and everybody was shocked like everyone in the community was like what the fuck like it was a real twist a plot twist
1: <laughs> but then uh, why, why did they want a, they claimed to want a feminist
2: because it's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> because they're trying to use you the same way that they tried to use me to legitimize like you're basically a lure so that when the article goes out that your following or your influence impacts people in their favor that's how they do everything like they use people like little pawns everything is just support the mission and protect the leadership right they were using a butcherized version of feminism as female empowerment, but really it's female empowerment with a misogynist glaze. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it isn't actually female empowerment, it's female subjugation. So like you're dealing with everybody that was brainwashed. Like every single person that you dealt with was brainwashed in some varying degree. Right. So they believe. And they've all done the Dinesh trainings and they've all done these things that they think make them a superior mind and that they're smarter than you and they can trick you and they can get you to believe what they believe because they so strongly are brainwashed to believe that. And so it's very convincing. I, I just think overall, they wanted somebody to make them look good and they thought that they had a compelling
1: strategy. And so what else do you remember them saying about me and what else did they tell you to say?
2: That you, the oh, they scripted the whole interview. Basically, everything that I said to you on that call, maybe I let myself say one or two things because I was in Los Angeles and I was feeling a little bit of distance and a little like more freedom, but still a lot of control. Like they were on the phone with me while I was doing the interview in text. Like that's how controlled they were. And they scripted it for me before I even got on the call with you. I mean, they're all on top of it. But a lot of those responses that I gave were basically part of the indoctrination of DOS right. to believe those things, to believe, to have that perspective on it.
1: But, you know, everybody was so uh, yeah. crazy at this moment where it was like, Claire can't control the article. It was, it yeah, was, but that's was how scared
2: understand. and how brainwashed they all are. It's so amazing to hear it from your perspective.
1: Really was like, you know, this whole process of doing this has been pretty weird. When I first heard about the story, I thought like, well, maybe this is being overblown. And maybe this is a bunch of people who are not in a cult. And You know, there were times early on where I was like, "Okay, maybe it's all right. You don't want to condemn people for being a bunch of weirdos. And then I was also afraid I was going to get sued by Nexia. Remember? So So how how about
2: how about that? Like, how about that? Even without you being in the group, they had already installed fear, a.k.a. blackmail, that if you told the truth, you were already afraid to tell the truth. So like that's that's how well developed their system is. (laughs)
1: right exactly group. anybody who you know and it, and it, look it's it's weird as a journalist because you want the scoop right of course like, what are you willing to do to get it yeah I mean it's shocking I mean it's sho- it's a shocking story you know I'd say the positive
2: takeaway that I took from the group is I'm, I'm kind of fearless when it comes to talking about stuff at this point in my life Yeah. But, like it took me a long time to get there but I definitely had a lot of training.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the shame of the whole thing is is that there were so many fascinating interesting seeker like people who, you know, whose impetus to try to improve themselves was turned back against them and used as a weapon. Yes. Do you think yeah. people were going to get hurt by Keith as well? Do you think that somebody was going to die?
2: I have been asked that question a lot. Um, The truth is, I think there were a number of people who were dealing with severe depression or suicidal ideation that weren't honest about it at the time, including people that actually attempted suicide while they were there because they were in so much pain, especially people who were really close to Keith. But nobody really talked about it. So I think there was an undercurrent of self-hatred and lack of care for ourselves. But I could only speculate that it was going to turn into a doomsday type of situation. Like some people have said, like, it's a mass suicide in preparation. To me, all of these things are sort of a slow suicide because what they do is they kill the person and they replace it with a programmed version of themselves. So that is a death. Really? So in a lot of ways, you you die, yourself dies when you're brainwashed and you're replaced with whatever it is that they want of you. Right. But you can get it back. And that's the part that I didn't know. And I had like thought that I was going to be fucked up forever. I wasn't sure if I was, I was really in a bad way, like up and down every day. I would sometimes lie in bed for hours just crying hysterically because I couldn't understand what was happening to me. And I couldn't control my thoughts. I thought I was schizophrenic. Like it was really scary. After but you I thought
1: oh. is this, you mean right yes. after stuff. No, no, no. This this
2: and not just right after. For the past four years, I've been dealing with varying degrees of that process. We all have our scars in life. But the healing is the thing that saves me from suicide. Like if I had not focused on prioritizing my own mental health, I would have killed myself what they had done to our minds the effect of that is allison sitting in prison the effect of that is keith in prison
1: what do you mean by the effect of that like
2: like like all when i was in the group i had no idea like the compounding negative effects i was only so focused on everything that they told me that i was getting from the group so like I didn't see that I was, you know, becoming used to sleep deprivation or food deprivation as negatives. I didn't see as any of their indoctrination is negative. Like when you're in the, when you're in that environment, it's so hard to see it as anything other than that. Right. So like now that people are in prison, like the hope is that they're able to rehab themselves. They're able to see reality. But like the truth is that that sometimes doesn't happen. Like you can see that there's still people who are supportive of Keith and his mission and his belief. Like that's how deep brainwashing is. Like the guy's in prison and these people are free, but they're still in prison in their own minds. Like it took me four years to get out of that prison of, of my mind that, that I would become so used to living in.
1: Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by me, Vanessa Gregoriadis, and Gabriel Sherman. Shoshi Shmulovitz is our managing producer and editor. Shoshi and I wrote this episode, and it was edited by Natalie Robamed. We had help on this story from Garrett Graham, Heather Schroering, and Ewen Lai-Tamuun. Lily Smith is our AP. Alistair Sherman is our sound designer, and David Devereaux is our mix engineer. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, Matt Scherr, and myself. If you enjoyed listening to this story, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us more than you know.